Ahoy, and welcome to The Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. My very first note says, womp, womp. <laughs> so today, we're covering part three of The Cheerleaders by Kara Thomas, and it's chapter 16 through 22, plus there's like an epilogue or whatever, and pages 244 through 370. I read this in one day. I don't have a ranking system yet, but on a scale from 1 to 10, I would give this a solid meh. I will say, though, I am furious because the timeline is completely made up and changes for no reason. Like, they give you one date and then literally two paragraphs later on the same, like, page, it's a different date. It doesn't make any sense. So we'll get into that. Turn down your volume, folks. Also, it's annoying. I'm just, like, ranting about the book before we get into it, I guess, but... It's hard to follow and there's a lot of characters and information that's added like way too late and it's not even like hinted at like this is not a slow build book where it's like oh oh I'm curious about this thing oh it all makes sense like literally the big ending you know how there's always like the climax of the story could have happened in like the second or third chapter and would still have made complete sense and you're like cool that was a really fun short story I found online it did not need to be 400 pages just like I said womp womp. So, summary of last time, if you saw my Instagram post, you'll know what's coming, but it's hard to summarize this book because there's a lot going on and a lot of characters, but in reality, there's nothing really happening and nothing really matters at the same time. It's like the most confusing feeling in the world. So, instead of doing a summary of last time, I made up a quote-unquote very heavy on the quote cheer and just like a heads up, I wrote it before I read the final part, so there's no spoilers or anything, and... Honestly, it just kind of like reads like the truly devious letter slash like a slam poem. So I'm really excited to embarrass myself. (sighs) Ready? Okay. The cheerleaders, what can I say? Monica, she's just okay. They all think Ethan's a creep. He seems pretty normal to me. Jenny's dad's kind of sketch, but he isn't my first suspect. A car accident, murders, and suicide could be connected to the pickup truck guy. This is my favorite part. Coach Brandon does like to engage with girls a few years underage. Can't forget that girl, Carly the Cokehead. She was friends with all the girls who are now dead. I don't know the conclusion to this story, but I'm guessing it's kind of boring. Go Jolly Reader! Was that terrible or what? Because I loved it. Okay, things to look forward to. Basically, we find out the truth about everything, and there's no cliffhangers. And even though my lingering questions is literally a page and a half of notes. But, I mean, that's about it. Like, I don't have much else to say. Me and my first mate, Josh, already figured it out. So I'm guessing some of my crew had as well. So let's get into it. It doesn't start like an actual chapter. It's Jennifer's part. Five years ago, October. So at first... Oh my gosh, we're starting with a rant. Yay. So it says at first, like in the first part of the book or one of my previous episodes, and I take really detailed notes, so I know this is correct. Someone says that the deaths were within two months and now they're within one month and the car crash and the murders were only a week apart. And then later we find out that those were a week apart and then the suicide was eight days after that. So like, why? It says, but why? I agree with past self that wrote this note, but why? So anyways... It starts talking about how Tom doesn't believe in accidents. He just says, if something can be prevented, it was an accident. But after the car accident, he didn't say that anymore because it's unexplained, you know. 
She wasn't on drugs. She wasn't texting, whatever. And Jen overheard Tom talking to the mom the night it happened, like the car accident happened, and he was like crying really hard and stuff. Like, I think it's just like, hey, he didn't murder them. Duh. Okay. Also, there's like all kind of pointing at this wasn't an accident, but we already know that. We've said it five times in this book. Whatever. So then there's some plot excuse, but it lands us with Jen and Jules talking before the wake. That's so funny that I wrote that because I don't even remember what actually leads up to that. So Jules wants to talk to Jen and tells her, like, you need to talk to Susan and make up because life's short. So Jen tells Jules that the hit list thing uh, in the locker or whatever, like, that's not what it was. And she doesn't like Ethan, even though we, the reader, know she does. So Jules believes that she didn't write the hit list. But she also says, like, Jen, you've changed because before you would have told me the truth about what you like really slipped in his locker. Like, I know you're lying. So then they go to the funeral slash wake and Susan goes up to Jen and they say sorry and they make up. It's literally one paragraph. Like, this sucks. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Me too. The end. So I'm really glad we wasted a bunch of time on that argument. Oh man, I'm sassy today. Okay. It's a week after the car accident, if we believe this timeline. And they're at cheer practice, and Jules says that everyone's going to this party on Saturday at Osprey Bluff. And Jen wanted to go to Levi's, who's a random character we don't know, like they did last year because it isn't as wild, and her stepdad's like a cop, obviously. And then I say, um, excuse me, at the beginning of the book, it says that Jules got so drunk, she doesn't even remember hooking up with some senior. So either not the same party, like this Levi's, or me and them have very different definitions of not wild. But anyways, Jules is like, Carly can drive us. And Jen's upset because we all know she doesn't like Carly. And Jules just snaps at Jen and is like, what's your problem with everything lately? And just gets up and leaves. So then they hear, oh, this gets crazy. Okay, they hear a commotion in the hallway and Carly and the coach, Allie, are in like this full-blown physical altercation. Not girl fight. Eh, we slapped each other. Like throwing punches, pulling hair. And Jen pulls Carly off of the coach and Carly's like bleeding out of her mouth while Allie looks mostly put together. Like you can tell Allie was winning the fight. So she's a grown adult teacher. Can we just talk about that for five seconds? She's like 22. So anyways, Carly's like, Allie came at me first. And then Allie's like, nothing. She doesn't say anything to deny it. And she throws a hoop earring at Carly and leaves. So the only thing I can think of is that Carly was like hooking up with Allie's man or Allie found Carly's earring or whatever. Big who cares. But like, obviously that would start the fight. But yet again, you are like a coach, a teacher figure. Get your life together. And wouldn't you be more concerned that your boyfriend's hooking up with someone underage if that's what you believe, not going after? Okay, pause everybody. Captain Book's about to ramp. Okay, why don't you go after the person who cheated? Like... Carly doesn't have a boyfriend that we know of. So why are you mad at her? Be mad at your man that's dating you. I'm just saying. It's ridiculous. I hate that. Toxic. Okay. Jen couldn't sleep that night and she wakes up with strep, which we already know. She goes to the doctor and is devastated that she can't go to homecoming, etc., the sleepover, etc. Jules is texting her. Read pages 254 and 257. Okay. Where are you? Allie says you're sick. Answer me. Sorry, was that the doctor? She says it's strep. What? Are you still coming tonight? Even if I start the antibiotic, butter, she's contagious. Why am I like reading all this? Okay, here's the important part. Cut that other part or leave it. I don't care. Future Captain Book. Let's see her. 
Okay, so Jules is like, what? You're not coming to the dance or the bluff tomorrow either? She has strep throat, girl. Like, hello. I wasn't going to the bluff anyways, Jules. I just don't get why. Seriously? Seriously. So Jen says, because Carly is sketchy and I don't want to be around her. That's why you've been acting so ridiculous? I'm ridiculous? I saw you after spirit night getting into a weird car with her. You're doing pills with Carly now. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Jesus Christ, Jules, who even are you anymore? And then Jules says, there's so much I have to tell you. It's not what you think. And then she says, really? Because I saw Carly come out of the bathroom at the fair and it totally looked like she was doing coke. And then it says, please, all cap, I'll tell you everything. Then tell me. Can you sneak out later and come to Sue's, like Susie's or whatever, Susan's, whatever, after float building? It has to be in person. All this is pointless, by the way, but we don't know what's going on. Also, I think it's pretty ridiculous that she's asking her, Jen, who has strep throat, to sneak out. So Jen says, which I believe I was thinking this too. Jen basically says that if you want to talk, come to my house after school. Super reasonable, whatever. Jen wakes up around eight with no response from Jules, which if we follow the timeline, she's still alive. She just like blew Jen off. So she sees Ethan, this is Jen, sees Ethan walking outside and she opens her window and she holds up a sign she made with her phone number on it and they text and she sneaks him into her bedroom and Ethan tells her he walks around at night because his mom is dying and it's hard to watch, which everyone of the neighbors is furious, but one, that's what I said he was doing. Two, like, I totally understand that. First of all, when I was in high school and my really close friend's dad died of cancer and he was like in the house and it was terrible and it was hard to be around. Two, my mother-in-law and my dad both died of cancer. It's horrible. It's really bad to watch. So I totally understand why Ethan is like out of the house, but the neighbors got to feel some sort of way about it. So Jen tells him that she's upset because she feels like she's losing her friends, but that's silly because he has it worse. And he's like, there will always be someone who has it worse, but that doesn't mean your pain and feelings are invalid. Like, duh, whatever. He's nice. Got it. So she asks him what he's always listening to on his headphones and probably the Jolly Reader podcast if he has one brain cell. I'm just kidding. Shameless plug. Listen to the Jolly Reader podcast. Tell your friends. Okay, no, but really he's listening to audiobooks, which I know I cannot stand, but it's neither here nor there. So they share headphones, which is adorable. So she can listen to the audiobook with him. And Jen wakes up and he's not there. And there's a post note on her hand. And it just says, you fell asleep around chapter three. Maybe we can find out what happens together. Uh, this is true romance. Okay. I think it is. Gentlemen, take notes. Chapter 16. Wow. My first note. Well, this chapter is super dumb, so I'm going to shorten it and try not to rant too much. Fantastic. Okay. Monica gets her phone taken away. Big who cares, but they spend like four pages talking about it. She meets Ginny in the yearbook room. Ginny made a fake Facebook profile and got Carly to follow it. Blah, blah, blah. She explains how that's done. Go watch Catfish. Whatever. I'm not going to explain it on here. So she found a picture of Carly standing in the back of a pickup truck with no other details. They also find a prom photo with one of the other cheerleaders who is still alive. I have probably. She's definitely alive, but it doesn't specify at the time. And it says, I think the plan is to contact this other girl. It is. So Colleen's mom, who's a teacher, walks in and is spiteful and furious and gives him detention. So I don't know. She's just kind of mean for no reason. Like I get her daughter died, but it's just kind of weird how aggressive she is. 
the Snape situation. So anyways, Monica has to have her mom sign the detention slip and her mom and her have a fight because her mom won't even say Jennifer's name or hug Monica. I don't know. It's a whole thing. So basically, her mom feels like she couldn't have saved Jen and now she can't save Monica because Monica's like changing before her eyes. It's just an all around sad situation. So the next day is the memorial at the school. Oh, I remember why I'm ranting now. Okay, so (laughs) sorry. That seems so random. You just wait. So the next day is the memorial that Colleen's mom put together and Monica cannot handle it. That's an understatement. And this is okay. So I'm about to flip out about this. Monica tries to leave school and coach Brandon Caesar and he leads her to his Jeep and they start making out like long pause i don't know that's so this conversation get ready to die so then he's like this can't happen blah 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 and there's so many reasons especially and then monica's like because you have a girlfriend like what we're just gonna pretend like this is the biggest issue with this situation not that he's like a teacher at her school and eight years older than her like it's illegal let's talk about that like i don't care if he has 15 girlfriends like this is not legal oh okay then he says are you ready buckle seatbelts we're going on a ride he goes i don't want to be that guy I don't want to be that guy by like, you don't want to be a rapist because that's what you are. Like what in the hell? Sorry, but for real, this is ridiculous. So (laughs) he asked her what made her do it. Like what you did with me. Like he can't even say it. Like what made you have sex with me? He's a grown man. He's 28 and he can't even say that. What you did with me. Like whatever. So Monica's like, uh, because I was sad. Like, ooh, ego hit. So Brandon's super upset because he actually liked her, supposedly. And he says, I told myself you looked older and you acted older, so it wasn't wrong. That won't hold up in court, buddy. (sighs) If you're not grossed out by this, like you really should be. This is not okay. He says it doesn't even feel wrong now, like them making out because of age just because she used him to avoid her problems like uh victim blaming that's what that is it's blaming the victim of your crime i'll never shut up about this so anyways he leaves her in the jeep not like abruptly but he's like we can't do this because you don't like me back oh my ego i'm disgusting so and he's like this can't happen again okay so monica just stays there and watches the balloons release for the memorial chapter 17 so drawn out (laughs) so they're in detention and the boys are being rude to jenny and monica stands up for her that whole situation is disgusting too like jenny used to be in gymnastics or whatever and the boys are looking up like pictures of her and her leotard and just being disgusting every man in this book is that's my laundry my dryer ringing every man slash boy in this book is being disgusting so jenny finds an article about the girl they saw in the prom picture with Carly. Her name's Patrice Johnson. Patrice! Um, that's a How I Met Your Mother reference. So anyways, she's a cheer coach at this other school. And whatever, later, segue, Rachel drives Monica and Alexa home. And <laughs> Don't ask me why I said it like that. And they're talking about spirit night, but Monica's grounded and can't go. And Rachel drops off Alexa and she asks Monica why monica won't talk to her about everything 
like about the sister and the deaths and stuff she's like bethany's my cousin so like i kind of understand and monica's furious because it's not the same as losing a sister wine 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 like she's just trying to be like look you can talk to me like i kind of get it like i'm here for you as your friend whatever so rachel's like you talked to jenny about it and Ginny didn't like wasn't connected to anybody, so I totally understand that. And Monica's just like, Rachel, don't do this. And Rachel just drops Monica off and's like, I nailed that dance move triple whatever today, if you were wondering. She says what the move is. I don't remember. Sorry. <laughs> so Hey, so I'm editing and I'm realizing that I keep calling Patrice Patricia. So it's the same person. So Patrice, Patricia. I suck at names. That's who I'm talking about. Okay, bye. Monica asks it, her like her parents if she can go to the football game that's her school against that team that Patricia coaches at. And they say yes, because, you know, plot and being grounded doesn't matter anymore. So big who cares with all this. But they go to this game, her and Ginny, and it's so packed and hard to get tickets. I could literally tell you the score of the game because why, why, why? I don't know. They felt like that was important for me to know. So after the game at this huge game that's impossible to get into, somehow they just like walk up to the cheer coach, start talking to her. So they're talking to Patricia and long story short, she tells them Carly was a wannabe skank and it's bad news. Real mature of this like freaking however old she is, almost 30 year old. So Patricia never understood the hold Carly had on Jules. And there's a rumor that Carly slept with Coach Allie's boyfriend and got kicked off the cheer squad, which is ridiculous because literally a grown adult beat up a student and she didn't get fired over it. That Like, I'm pretty sure she didn't because they talk about her still being there and she doesn't leave until after like the murders. Anywho, Carly didn't drive at all, so she couldn't have driven a pickup truck. Does anyone really think it's Carly? Because definitely not. So Patricia said they should talk to Allie because the girls would always confide in her. Big who cares? Dead end. But we're not there yet. Spoiler alert. So Ginny and Monica speculate if Carly would murder over Jules potentially ratting her out to Allie for cheating with the boyfriend. Nope. Nope. Just no. Like that's not worth. That's a dumb. No. That's not what happened. So they decided to talk to Allie to get more information. So Monica finds her number and Jen's phone and she asked Allie to meet because she's interested in going to the same college as Allie blah 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 they meet it is uncomfortable basically Allie's like my boyfriend would never cheat on me with a girl like that okay and it's like a girl like that you mean someone that's underage is that what you're saying are you saying the type of person that Carly is because whoa we got bigger problems going on so like side note I say her boyfriend was coach Brandon right like duh what other male character in here is this We'll confirm or deny that later, but that's just what's in my notes. I say, why bring a random character in now? So Carly wasn't kicked off of the team. She quit, like according to Allie. Read page 300. It's a mystery. We don't even know what's happening. Okay, so Allie's basically like, I know the rumor about Carly. This is like what really happened. I don't know why you care, but no, it's not true. The whole thing got blown out of proportion. I found Carly's earring in my boyfriend's car. Obviously, I asked him how it got there. He said that his best friend had met Carly over the summer and they've been hanging out. One night, Carly called them up asking to buy her beer. They picked her up and her earring must have fallen out in the boyfriend's back seat. And then Monica asked if Allie believes this and she says... His friend backed up the story, and this might sound mean, but my boyfriend never would have gone for a girl like Carly. Like, oh yeah, his friend covered for him. That, like, solves the mystery. <sighs> Monica says, whatever, they leave after that. Monica says to us, connect the dots. Maybe Carly and Allie and her boyfriend were never the dots to begin with. <sighs> 
biggest of who cares. Chapter 18. Inconsistencies. Do better. Side big who cares note. Monica got voted onto the homecoming court and Rachel doesn't and she's devastated and none for Gretchen Wieners. So anyways, Monica feels like her friends are slipping away from her. Whatever. So Jenny uses her fake Facebook profile to get Carly to meet up with them and they literally ambush her in a parking lot. Rude. So Carly says that she did a lot of things in high school she regrets and is getting her life together so she doesn't want them digging up stuff, which is exactly what I said last episode. So Carly says that Allie's boyfriend's friend, which, by the way, we never meet this arbitrary, like, magical friend that doesn't actually exist or may or may not. Anyways, Allie's boyfriend's friend sold pills and would beat people up over it, etc. She also said she never hooked up with Allie's boyfriend. Then she says that Jules didn't do pills and flipped out when she found out the guy was selling. Does anyone understand what's wrong with that? Because literally in the backflash, Jen sees Jules ask Carly if she can drink while taking these pills. She did drugs, period. And that's never brought up again. But like we're, I would feel like it's safe to assume that like Jen's part is honest. But why would Carly lie about it? We don't know. It's for no reason. It's stupid. So Carly says that these two guys are from Hamilton, the college, like at the time of them being in high school, like Carly and Jules and stuff. And they're rich and they never get in trouble for anything. And then Carly just keeps saying that the neighbor, Jack, killed the girls and they need to get over it. So Jenny and Monica are furious because they think these two guys have motive, but Carly won't tell them who they are. So Jenny wants to find them. And I have, why is she so invested? I still can't answer that. That's my lingering questions. So Monica wonders if Jen found out something she wasn't supposed to and they killed her too. Jennifer, five years ago, November. Jennifer is obviously having a rough go. She goes to Jules. This is after the murders. She goes to Jules wake, but runs out when she realizes that Jack's service was also held in the same place and she just thinks it's like disgusting to have like the victims and the supposed murderer all in one place. So she runs outside and she runs into Carly and Jennifer basically accuses Carly of being involved and if Jules had never met Carly she would still be alive. That may or may not be true. So then like I don't think she thinks like Carly killed her. I don't. I just think she's angry. So anyways so Jen Carly didn't kill them, period, whatever. So then Jen goes to Ethan's house and they start making out and she basically tries to have sex with him. And he says he doesn't want to like physically be with her when she's sad. Like he's trying to be respectful. So Jen says she's always sad and doesn't remember ever really being happy and she wishes she was dead. Why did he tell Monica that he was surprised she killed herself and he thought she was okay when he got off the phone with her when she literally said she wishes she was dead? Hello? He tells Jen... That he tried to kill himself in the eighth grade, but he's still here, and so is she. And he has her say, like, I'm still here, I'm still here. And she says it out loud, but it feels more like a curse than an affirmation to her. Like, mm. chapter 19. <laughs> so Monica gets up in the middle of the night, and she's snooping around Tom's office, and he catches her, and he's super upset. He's like, what are you doing? My service gun is locked up in the safe in here, and you shouldn't be in here, whatever. So Monica is like, how Jen kill herself, but he won't tell her and never has. But like, I think it's trying to insinuate that his service gun was involved because it's like back to back statements. So anyways, 
Tom's convinced that Jack is the one who killed Jules and Susan, but like it's hard not to doubt yourself, whatever. He also says that he knew Monica took Jen's phone and that Ethan was the one writing the letters. He didn't like Ethan because Ethan had a suicide attempt in the past, so he like thinks that he convinced Jen to commit suicide. That's so freaking stupid. Like clearly, no. That's not how that works. Uh anyways. Okay, so the main thing that comes out of this conversation is that Susan St. Bernard was curled up next to her dead body. The dog wasn't hurt, and Jack had no injuries from a dog bite. Tom says that Jack was big enough to push the dog off of him. Uh, St. Bernard? No. Nope. Not. Nope. No, he wouldn't. Those dogs are humongous. We'll get into that later. I said, obviously, it was someone who knew the dog, but you still think it would be mad, which that's not true either. This is so stupid. Why even have the dog there? (sighs) So the other thing that comes out of this conversation is that Tom doesn't even know who Carly is and never even investigated her. What? What? We did a thorough investigation, except for we left out like a person on the cheer squad and she was friends with them. And what? You would think that you would interview like everyone on the cheer squad. This is so dumb. So uh, anyways, it's the homecoming parade and Monica panics because she sees Coach Allie in the crowd and she's like, I just talked to her. Is that why she's here? I always jump to assumptions that are wrong. And (laughs) Monica's freaking out and she tries to find Ginny. And before she can, she's pulled up onto the homecoming court float or whatever. And as her name's being announced, she sees Allie and Brandon has his arm around Allie's waist. Duh, called it. And they both seem oblivious that the other one is staring right at Monica. Oh my gosh, I'm so shocked. I have a lot of attitude today. My goodness. Chapter 20. Chapter 20. (laughs) Why is this book so long? (laughs) That's what it says. Like it could be half the length and still be the same ending. We keep getting little details to make everything make sense, but it's so boring and drawn out. Oh, and predictable. Oh, past me. You're so funny. I had been reading this all day though. So like, I was probably really annoyed at this point in my taking notes. Like, can we get to this? I've been writing for like two hours. So Jenny tells Monica she did some research and figured out that Brandon met the criteria of the guy who graduated from Hampton and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, cool. Like, how does she figure this stuff out so easily? Uh, can you find me a blonde girl that's skinny in the yearbook? Yeah, I found the exact one we're looking for. Anyways, she also found a picture of Allie and Brandon on like this athletic website or something. It basically is confirming that they were dating at the time of the murders and they're kind of freaking out about it because then that means... His friend was the one selling pills and Brandon probably, they say Brandon helped beat up the guy that his friend beat up. I I don't know why they think that because it's not said ever. But anyways, basically, oh, he's dangerous. Oh my gosh. Duh. Monica and Rachel and Alexa are supposed to stay at Alexa's house after Kelsey, I don't even know which one, G or B party because the mom, oh, because Alexa's mom isn't like other moms. She's a cool mom and she knows they drink. Whatever. So they get to the party. And Rachel gets smashed. (sighs) And Monica also has one too many drinks. She's a vodka cranberry. She has two of them. And then she has a shot. Lord almighty. The fact that I even remember that and it's not even my notes is like this book's too detailed. So anyways, Jimmy is flirting with her and she's kind of torn about it, which is dumb. And she should be torn because it's literally her ex-boyfriend's best friend or whatever. So before the party, oh, backflash, whatever. Like before they left for the party, Brandon texted Monica and was like we need to talk 
And now they're at the party because she ignored it. And he texts her again. He's like, I'm parked down the block. Can you come out or whatever? We need to talk. Got it. So Monica goes and talks to him, but she refuses to get in his Jeep. And he's like, why were you talking to Allie about Carly? And Monica tells Brandon that she didn't know that Allie was his girlfriend. And she also says that you were Coach Allie's girlfriend during the time of the deaths, weren't you, or whatever. And he doesn't know where she's going with this, blah, blah, blah. She's trying to leave, and he grabs her wrist. And Monica freaks and is like, don't ever come near me ever again. And he's like, Jesus Christ, Monica, okay. And, like, leaves. Like, no way, you're a psycho. So... Monica calls her mom drunk to pick her up and they basically make up because it's almost the end of the book and her mom actually loves her despite what Monica has been saying all book and we gotta like tie this up with a bow. Monica also makes up with Rachel through text because ooh, the book's ending. We don't want anyone to be mad. So (laughs) why am I so annoyed? Okay, Monica texts Ginny about Brandon showing up to the party but she's like drunk so Ginny calls her and is like uh your text doesn't make sense and Monica says she messed up bad with him and Ginny says for the win Monica look it's not your fault he's much older you understand what happened to you right and she's 16 and he's 28 it doesn't matter that she quote-unquote came on to him like climbed on him in the truck or whatever that night it does not matter he is a rapist period okay now we got that cleared up i will say time out before we move on i do like that this book is like addressing statutory rape and like just because you don't feel like a victim doesn't mean that what happened wasn't wrong and like i don't know good awareness sorry if this is triggering to anybody but it's important to know that just because monica was willing quote unquote she's still underage and she can't really make that decision, and he's 28, and he's a creep. I don't know. Sorry for the interruption in our regular funny podcast, but this is, like, serious, and I want you all to know that I care about this. So I'm, like, so mad because I've been saying this since the beginning. Okay. Monica says she knows. She under- she finally understands that she was a victim in all this, and she's going to tell Tom everything in the morning. She should have just told him then, but, you know, plot. So later when she wakes up in the middle of the night, she conveniently remembers something Allie said. The guys, being her boyfriend and the friend, shouldn't have been hanging out with a high school girl. Duh. But not girls. She says girl like singular. So we're coming to the conclusion out of nowhere that Allie didn't know that Jules was hanging out with them because Brandon didn't want Allie to find out. Oh, duh, duh, duh. So like if you catch her drift, Jules and Brandon were hooking up. Comes out of nowhere. We'll get into that in my lingering questions. So... Then Monica remembers a picture from the summer when they were working together when Brandon was a lifeguard. Just above his right ankle on his calf is a crescent-shaped white scar the size of a bite from a large dog. Sorry, not sorry, but you're telling me a St. Bernard that's over two feet tall is biting at his calf and not like jump attacking him higher and like ripping his face off? I don't know why I'm so triggered by this, but like, okay, I have a golden retriever mix dog, Rory. She's relatively small. She would literally be ripping people's arms off if this was the situation. When she plays, like, full plays with us or whatever, she nips at our thighs. Like, we're chasing Allie around the yard. She'll, like, nip at us to get us to stop. It doesn't hurt or anything. But, like, she's hitting, like, our butts and our thighs, not, like, our ankles. Moving on. Chapter 21. Well, this is kind of a bummer. Great. Okay, so this is, like, the whole climax. Things are going to get crazy. This is the part I said that could literally have happened like in chapter two. 
So Brandon shows up at Monica's house to talk and they're in the garage and she's recording the conversation because everyone in every movie and every book is able to record stuff on their phone without the other person knowing. So she calls him out for what we already know that he was hooking up with Jules and all that. And Petey comes out and Monica's like, okay, my brother saw you, Brandon. Now you're screwed because you're not a kid killer. Like, that's going to protect you? What were Jules and Susan then? They were 16, which is, oh, let's say it together, kids. Anyways, he's a kid killer. Whatever. Monica kicks Brandon in the balls and tells Petey to run to Jenny's house to call 911 or whatever. She picks up a baseball bat and tells Brandon to sit down. And they're going to talk about this. And it's basically lame. Ugh. It's really annoying also in every book and movie that like we always have time for like the killer to explain themselves before like they start attacking people that go watch the great mouse detective. Okay. So you never explain your plot, like what you're going to do because they're going to escape anyways. So Brandon basically says to Monica, it wasn't just about Jules telling Allie that he was like cheating on her. He was 22 at the time and Jules was 16. So he could go to jail uh p.s buddy but like you can go to jail for murder double murder but okay sure that makes perfect sense so when he confronted her jules was upset that he wasn't gonna leave Allie for her and she freaked out he tried to cover her mouth and jules bit him and then she jerked backwards and fell into a mirror that's like the broken glass thing in the house then jules picks up a shard of glass and comes at him and brandon quote unquote panicked Susan heard the commotion, so he went after her as well, and he wasn't planning on hurting anyone. So, like, grain of salt with all that, but whatever. So, Monica says, Ugh, it was all an act. You were just, like, pretending that sleeping with me was wrong because of my age, when really you were just a pedophile. And I, um, have I not been screaming this for three episodes? Like, yes, he's a pedophile. And yes, he went for you because you're young. And I don't mean to make a joke out of this, but it makes me think of Days and Confused when he's like, you know what I like about high school girls? I get older and they stay the same age. That's Brandon, creep. So anyways, he's really mad that she called him a pedophile. So Brandon lunges at her and starts choking her. And Monica spits out. She's like, this is what you did to her. And Brandon screams and releases her. Ginny had just hit him over the head with a baseball bat. But he isn't dead. So Monica takes the bat and she legit wants to just like kill him. She wants to hit him till he's dead. So Ginny says she'll support whatever Monica decides to do. And she's going to like tell the police whatever Monica wants her to. Monica doesn't murder him because Jules and Susan's families deserve to be able to talk to him about what happened. So she just kicks him continuously until an ambulance comes. Uh, that could kill him too, but okay. <sighs> this is all super disappointing. Like, sorry, not sorry. 400 pages for just kind of like a dud of a situation. I don't get why the climax of stories is always like this. Bad guy gets figured out. Attacks good guy, but there's enough time for a big reveal, which in this case wasn't a reveal at all. And then bad guy dies or gets arrested. Boo. <laughs> okay. Chapter 22. My first no in all caps says math question mark exclamation point question mark exclamation point question mark. We're going to get into that in just five seconds. So Brandon's going to be charged with assault and statutory rape and Jules and Susan's case will be reopened, even though it's not technically closed, but they're going to investigate it. And Tom's case is getting open, too, because obviously Jack wasn't guilty of these murders. So he killed him wrongfully. And we still don't know, never will know why Jack said sorry. But anyways, 
Monica's mom tells Monica that Jen left a note and mentioned Monica, like a suicide note. She wanted Monica to see California for her. That's what Jen wanted, which is like, whatever. I'm going to get into that more in leering questions because I rant about it. So Monica quits the dance team and her coach is like, whatever. That's cool. You're you're all right or whatever. Her coach is like super tough this whole time. I kind of left it out because it's not super relevant. And everyone's like really nice to her at the school because they figured out that she was the one that Brandon was hooking up with or whatever, which is kind of annoying because like, yes, uh, obviously, that's how you should act. Like she's a victim in this. But you're telling me these kids in the school have been like horrible and sexist and just like over the top this entire book. But then they figure out something like this and not one person teases her. Like that's super unrealistic. Not that it should happen. I'm just saying the plot is changing for what's convenient. Okay. Monica gets an email back from Daphne, who's the journalist, about Phil, who's Ginny's dad. So I'm going to read this and we're going to scream together. Page 355. My throat literally hurts and I haven't even gotten to my rants at the end. Okay. Hi, Monica. I had a tough time with this one. He couldn't find any record of employment, taxes, or incarceration for Phil in the last five years. Four years ago, his wife filed a request to have him declared dead, but it looks like the judge denied it. The record shows that Phil's wife posted a $5,000 bail for a previous DUI charge he was set to appear for before he disappeared, unrelated to domestic violence charge. This guy seems like a real winner. If a defendant dies before a case goes to trial and bail is paid in cash, whoever posted bail can get the money back. It's pretty difficult to provide proof of death without a body or evidence that a person met foul play. Anyway, the motion to have Phil declared dead states that the last time his wife saw him was the morning of October 27th. Several other people saw him at a bar that evening. I'm sure you realize that this means Phil was last seen a full week before the murders. I'm sorry. I know you were hoping this would turn into a viable lead. I'll admit that I was too. My guess, Phil was facing upward to 15 years in prison for the domestic violence charge and the DUI and fled. Wherever he's hiding, he's doing a good job of it. Probably shacked up with some poor woman who has no idea what he did. Let me know if there's anything else I can do to help. Okay, then literally the next line says, I read it again to make sure I have it right. Jenny said her father left October 18th, a full three days before his report says he was last seen. I'm sorry, did I not just read the report that says October 27th? 27 minus 18 is not three, it is nine. Also, the 27th would not be a week before the murders because Jen killed herself on the 7th. We only talk about that 50,000 times and the murders were uh, like eight days before that in the other part of the book. I'm angry, man. Like, you didn't even have to put a date in there. (sighs) Like, why? That was so easy. Just get right and not put a date. Like, just be like, uh, his date was before a week before, whatever. You don't have to put the dates that don't make any sense literally on the same page as each other. Also, Tom's partner said his court date was before before that, like the 15th. So he had already missed it by the time the mom last saw him on the 27th or whatever. So declaring him dead wouldn't have even mattered. Ugh. Moving on. Monica goes on a date with Jimmy and it's pleasant. That's really what happens, though. So they pass the car accident area for Colleen and Bethany. And Monica gets out because there's like flowers and stuff. And she sees red paint on the railing. Okay, we'll explain that in a minute. Um, so then Monica realizes there's no letter from Ethan this year because he was sending those letters to Tom every year. So she texts him. 
I'm just going to read right quick so we can just like be done with this. No letter today? You sound surprised. No, grateful maybe. Why did she call you that morning? And then he says, we listened to part of a book together. She wanted to know how it ended. Did you tell her? I said I'd tell her when I saw her next. Thank you. For what? Because maybe now I can let go of her. He knew. He knew she was going to kill herself. It's so obvious. But then he starts sending the letters and stuff, filling people with doubt for no reason. So Monica's ready to move out of the dark into the light this time. Okay. End of her stupid section. Ginny, five years ago, October. Okay, so this last chapter is okay. I wish the whole book was more like this, but there are also a lot of issues with this. So Ginny's mom's beat up by the dad and Ginny's staying at her grandma's and her dad, Phil, demands to take Ginny with him to get ice cream and he is drunk. And the grandma's like, sure. Like, okay, let's talk about trash human beings because this random grandma that I just met this chapter is horrible. So they're at the 7-Eleven and they see the two guys, which we know is Brandon and this like random friend we never meet, harassing the girls. And also, by the way, they're always together, but like he's just not there when Brandon goes on a murdering spree. So anyways, the dad, Ginny's dad, Phil, wants to fight them because those girls are too young and that makes him sick. It's like true though. Like this guy, Phil, he's horrible, but like that on point. So they leave and Phil is disgusting is like all I can say about it. He grabs Ginny too rough and he says mean things and he's like, I always protect my family. Like he's an abuser and a drunk. Like it's gross. So anyways, he swerves his car causing Colleen and Bethany's accident. I have a question mark because I forgot Bethany's name. Anyways, the truck flips and flies towards an embankment like Ginny and her dad's truck and the water's rising from the rain. Ginny tries to help the girls, but she finds a severed arm and throws up before her dad starts calling her name. He begs for Ginny to unbuckle him so he can climb out the window because I think his arm's messed up and he's drunk, so like whatever. She thinks about her mom's abuse and him killing those girls, so she lets the car slide into the water without helping him. Ginny told her mom that he left and some things not everyone has to know. I have like a couple notes, but I get into it, my lingering questions, so I'll just save them. But just like side note, Tom's at all these and he sucks at investigating. Okay, lingering questions. It's the end of the book. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. I think it's pretty clear how I feel. So for my lingering questions, they're not even necessarily questions, but I'm going to start with the car accident. Why wouldn't Ginny just tell the truth? Like she was only 10. She's not guilty of anything. Her mom would have been able to declare the dad dead and get the bail money back, depending on what timeline you believe. Also, Colleen and Bethany's family could have had closure and all this would have been no loss to Ginny. Also, this addition of this last segment makes it really confusing on why Ginny wanted to help Monica connect everything if she already knew it wasn't connected and her dad was the one that caused the car accident. And why wouldn't she just confide in Monica and tell her the truth about the situation? Uh, just so the book would be suspenseful, but like in real life, it would make more sense for her to tell. I have a huge problem with no one finding the truck. The water was like supposedly rising because of the rain. So that would make me assume that the water level would eventually drop at some point. Also, Ginny's leaving as paramedics are showing up. I feel like the truck should have still been like visible in the water. Also, they didn't look for signs of like other cars or anything in this. And if there's still paint on the gar radle five years later, I can only imagine what it looked like that night. I mean, this might be a stretch, but I feel like they could have figured out that it wasn't a paramedic that threw up at the scene. It was actually someone else, but whatever. 
Okay, the murders. So why didn't the reader, us, or Jennifer have any idea that Jules was seeing or dating someone? Like, they all thought it was super obvious that Jen liked Ethan, but no one could figure out that Jules was acting different because she liked slash was, like, obsessed with someone. Also, Jules was, like, so ready to tell everybody that she was dating him before she died, but never even hinted at it before this point. It was just like, so we could have this aha moment and not figure it out too fast, but still. How the heck did that dog not just like completely murder Brandon? You know I'm screaming about that. Everyone in this neighborhood is so freaking nosy, but no one hears a very loud double murder. Like explain that to me also. And the whole plot was Brandon was worried about going to jail for rape. So he commits a double murder instead. A super obvious murder. Not like, oh, they could have just killed themselves or oh, it was an accident, house fire. No, he like strangles them. What the heck is up with the neighbor Jack? At worst, he's a peeping Tom, which like is not even really confirmed. My problem with that is everyone hates Ethan for walking around the neighborhood at night. So I don't exactly like trust the judgment of the people in this neighborhood that like Tom was a creep or whatever. Why did Brandon go after Monica and not Carly in the end? Carly was the one that knew he was hooking up with Jules and probably like involved in the murder. So why wouldn't he go after her? It just makes more sense. But anyways, did Jules take pills or not? Which it kind of confronted earlier. Also, if she did take pills, why did Carly provide them and not the drug dealer that was their friend? Also, if this is supposed to be like, oh, she was taking birth control because she was hooking up with someone, Carly's mom would not have extras. That's not how that works. So basically, I feel like Brandon could have gone after Monica at the start and we didn't even need the Jewel storyline, if we're just being honest. Okay, the suicide. Why did the parents make Monica feel like it might not be a suicide? Like, why say, no, there was no note. It literally just to drive the plot and to make it mysterious instead of being realistic. Same with Ethan being skeptical. Like, he totally knew once we got all the information that she was suicidal. Jen says it to him. The whole book is based on keeping secrets from the reader to make it mysterious instead of letting the real story just take place naturally. This book is confusing and not very interesting. And... My husband brought this up and I agree. It's based on the police being incompetent, which is super lame because a good story, you want the bad guy to be clever and not just like the good guys not doing their job. And then some teenager just stumbling upon it. I don't know. I ranted a lot. Bottom line, Brandon is a rapist and Monica is a victim and that's not okay. Two, suicide, not a joke. Even the happiest seeming people can commit suicide and it's not your fault. Like, Ethan feels like it's his fault. It's not. Car accidents happen. Drunk drivers are the worst. Don't drink and drive. Really, as much as I was frustrated with this book, I will say, like, it tackles a lot of really hard-to-discuss topics, and I hope that I've done them justice, even though this is, like, a humorous podcast. I don't know. I just, like, I think that was good to talk about it in an honest way. I just think things could have been handled better with the plot it not being drawn out and the dates were like all over the place. So let me just calm down so we can talk about our next book. So I'm happy to announce that our next book was a suggestion from one of our awesome crewmates, Sarah. She and I have had several conversations. She is wonderful and really cares about this podcast, which I appreciate. And she's just fun to talk to. So she wrote to me and said that she would like me to cover One of Us is Lying by Karen M. McManus, and One of Us is Next, also by, it's the sequel. 
So just like a fun story, this book like partially inspired the podcast. So I read this book before I started The Jolly Reader, and I was talking to Josh about how I really like the young adult murder mystery genre, and we were joking around, and I was like, I'm The Jolly Reader, like Captain Book, like being punny or whatever. And then he was like, just do it. Just make a podcast or whatever. So I never... Obviously, I've never covered this. So when I got a message from Sarah and she brought up that I should read it and the sequel, I was like, this is a brilliant idea. I should totally do that because these are really good books. So thanks to our awesome crewmate, just like a million, million shout outs. I'm going to read the inside cover in typical dramatic fashion. Pay close attention and you might solve this. On Monday afternoon, five students at Bayview High walked into detention. Bronwyn the Brain is Yale-bound and never breaks a rule. Addie the Beauty is the picture-perfect homecoming princess. Nate the Criminal is already on probation for dealing. Cooper the Athlete is the all-star baseball pitcher. And Simon the Outcast is the creator of Bayview High's notorious gossip app. Only Simon never makes it out of the classroom. Before the end of detention, Simon's dead. And according to investigators, his death wasn't an accident. On Monday, he died, but on Tuesday, he planned to post juicy reveals about all four of his high-profile classmates, which makes all four of them suspects in his murder. Or are they just the perfect patsies for a killer who's still on the loose? Everyone has secrets, right? What really matters is how far you would go to protect them. So that's our next book. Side note, I'm taking a week off because we're finally getting the rest of our stuff out of the storage unit in Kansas and bringing it up here to Nebraska. So I have to finish painting and cleaning and stuff before we go get it over the weekend. So I'm just taking a week off. So in two weeks, we will have a new episode. So in closing, thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Jolly Reader Podcast. And you can suggest books and I'll give you a shout out, obviously subscribe to get notifications for when the new episodes come out if you're on apple Podcasts, please leave a review because it helps crewmates find the podcast please share and discuss and message me and whatever this podcast let me know if you've read this book what you like about it what you don't like about it what you like i said about it (laughs) if you like secondhand embarrassment stay tuned for the outtakes and i will talk to you next time for one of us is lying Until we sail again, this has been the Jolly Reader. Bon voyage. Hey, you made it to the outtakes. Let's do it. Testing. Oh my gosh. Real talk. I'm so tired. My family and I have been in the backyard swimming for three days and I'm out today. But I read this book in one day and I'm tired. I just said that. I don't know. We'll see how this episode goes. I'm excited to share the ending and uh, just random, but I want this on here. My husband surprised me with a Neopets sweatshirt, and I don't know if it's for my birthday or because he loves me or because I kept sending him links to it, Um, but I know there's like one crewmate out there that understands that reference is probably screaming right now, so just throwing it out there. I'm going to check this. It's been like a minute. Bye. She doesn't even remember hooking up with some cedar, see some senior. So this is gonna be a long episode because I'm ridiculous. Let's see here. Oh my goodness, this is a long conversation. Jules potentially ranting or ranting. No. Okay. Ow, my finger. Ow, my fingy. Okay. 
She's going to tell mom, uh, tell, not mom. I am Allie, and you are with me to my mom. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.